2015, a day that has been called in Christian circles Black Friday. It's a day where the Supreme Court ruled that same-sex marriages were legal. It was also a day where gay activists began to completely transform the definition of family in America. For them, success comes when sodomy statutes are completely dismantled. For them, success comes when insurance, retirement, and Social Security regulations are changed to include them. For them, success comes when homosexual tolerance education is adopted into our private school, our public schools. For them, success comes when a sea of change is ushered in about how society views and how society treats people who choose a homosexual lifestyle. Simply put, the homosexual minority, that's 3.2% of adult Americans, are forcing their views on heterosexual majority of Americans. But listen to me. It's not all their fault. It's not all their fault because I read one statistic that said that 60%, 60% of adult Americans, straight adult Americans, age 18 to 44, support the regulations that have taken place for the homosexual community. For that reason, I believe what I read this week, and that is this. America is walking the Roman road to ruin. And indeed we are, but we must remember that we're not the first believers to proclaim the gospel to a godless world. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in Rome and he was addressing the same exact issues that we have in American culture today. Let me share with you a little bit of what he wrote. And again, he's writing to believers here. So listen up, believers. Amen. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth. That's what I'm going to be preaching to you today about, is the truth. Who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, 
into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creatures things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged, here you go, the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature, that's themselves, rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. And even as they did not think to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which were not up until this point, it's clear that Paul is talking about homosexuality. But then he goes on to include a few more other things to see if your particular sin fits in this list. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but listen to this, also of those who approve of those who practice such things. Friends, no matter what any government declares, no matter what any court orders, no matter what any culture clings to, God's truth will never be diminished. Therefore, we, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, need wisdom, and we need courage to obey God in the midst of a godless environment. At the same time that Paul wrote to the Romans, he also wrote to the believers in a town called Philippi to encourage them about how they might be able to obey God instead of men. <clears throat> if you'll turn with me in Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to share with you our passage of scripture this morning. Because in verse 12, Paul writes to them, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things. How many things? All things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, 
holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. In the face of the events of this past week and the events of Black Friday, how can we obey God rather than men? Today I want to point out three things, the first of which is we must place our hope in the truth. We must place our hope in the truth. Again in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Obeyed what? Obeyed the truth. And he directs them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Friends, obedience to the truth is what's going to get you through this difficult chapter in the American history books. Our hope lies firmly in our obedience to the power and wisdom of God who saved you by his grace. You've got to learn to obey the truth. Our salvation was confirmed by Jesus' obedience to the truth. Just listen to the preceding verses. This speaking of Jesus, Paul wrote, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery being equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and guess what Jesus did? Became obedient. Became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The Lord Jesus, because Jesus was willing to be obedient to the Father and humble himself even to the death of the cross, people like me and you who were once children of wrath can now become blameless and harmless children of God. It's all because of Jesus. Our salvation is confirmed by the fact that Jesus was obedient. But I found in that passage that our salvation is also contingent on our obedience to the truth. How do you know if you are a child of the king? Well, do you act like the king? Do you speak like the king? Do you like doing what the king says to do? Do you avoid doing what the king says not to do? Are you obeying the king? You see, in that sense, in that light, your salvation depends on whether or not you're obeying. The only way that I'll know, the only way that you'll know if you're a child of the king is if you're obeying the king. I mean, if you're not acting, if you're not speaking, and you're not doing what the king commands, well, then you must not belong to the king. Obedience, friend, is a byproduct of salvation. So in that light, our salvation is contingent to the obedience to the truth. But also, our salvation is completed by our obedience to the truth. Paul says, work out. Now, I like working out, amen? 
That's not what he's talking about. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean that I can work for my salvation? Is there something I might can do if I do it well enough to earn my salvation? Absolutely not. It does tell me this, though. It tells me that salvation is an ongoing work. Let me tell you this. Salvation has been accomplished by what Christ did on the cross. But I also want to point out that salvation is being accomplished as God works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He's continuing on that salvation experience. The willing and the working are done by God who gives the energizing. Amen? It is him. But make no mistake, friend. You and I have a responsibility. That's why life groups are so incredibly important to the life of this church. Because we have a responsibility to grow. We have a responsibility to nurture what God has placed in us. We have a responsibility to develop our faith. It's our responsibility. And if you're not taking charge of your responsibility, then you're failing yourself. And can I say you're probably failing God too. You can't get enough in a Brother Bill sermon to get you through all week. Amen? I know I'd like to think so, but I know better. Amen? I mean, I study it all week long and it ain't good enough for me. I still have to participate in a life group where I can receive nurture and growth and development in my faith. Friend, our hope comes through our obedience to the truth. Through the truth. So have you been saved? You a child of the king? Are you confessing your sins? Are you daily turning from sin and turning to God? Friend, have you surrendered yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Are you his and his alone? First and foremost is your allegiance to Jesus Christ, the King. You need to place your hope in Him. In light of these events, you need to place your hope in the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. Let's place our hope in Him. But not only do we place our hope in the truth, but we need to be working on heeding the truth. We need to heed the truth. Listen to what Paul wrote in verse 14, he said, do a few things without complaining. Now that, that would go for us, right? No, he said, do all things without complaining and disputing. Why? So that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Friend, you are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So how do we go about heeding the truth? That's important. How do we do it? How do we heed the truth? We do it by the way that we live. We do it by the way that we live. Let me be honest with you and state to you a very inconvenient truth. The reason that we are where we are today in our culture 
is primarily the result of professing Christians who love to talk about the truth. Amen? The reason we are where we are in our culture today, primarily, is the result of professing Christians who love to sing about the truth. Amen? The reason that we are where we are today is because professing Christians love to write about the truth. They love to Facebook the truth. They love to tweet the truth. They love to Instagram the truth. But they got a real big problem when it comes to living the truth. And friends, I include myself in the same basket. We all have the same challenges about living the truth. What is it that Paul says about living the truth? The truth. Well, in verse 14, he begins with something that's near and dear to us all. He says it begins by the way you use your mouth. Amen? I love to use my mouth. <laughs> Amen? Man, as much as I can shovel in there. But that's not what he's talking about. Verse 14 says, do all things without complaining or arguing. You see, the way you talk, friend. Listen to this. The way you post the way you tweet, the way you send messages speaks volumes about who you belong to. If you are spewing forth venom, if you are spewing forth hatred, if you are spewing forth humiliation and you're not living the truth, you cannot expect to be associated with the king. Paul's talking about our mouth. But Paul also talks about our conduct. Listen again to what he says there in verse 15. That you may become. Say that word become. That you may become. That you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault. He wants you to become that child. You see. Becoming a child of God and working out your own salvation with fear and trembling go hand in hand. If you're working it out, then you're becoming a child of God. Friend, how can we accomplish that? How can we be focused on our conduct? One, Paul says, you need to be blameless. When you look in the mirror of your life, you need to be able to say, first and foremost, before you point any fingers, hey, man, you're looking pretty blameless this morning. And if you can't say, hey, Bill, you're looking pretty blameless this morning, then you don't need to be pointing your finger at nobody else. You remember that long laundry list that I just read in Romans? Don't you be pointing your finger about somebody else's homosexuality when you got a problem with unforgiveness. Uh-oh. Did I just say that? Yeah, I said it. We're to be blameless. That's about ourselves. But we're also to be harmless. That's to others. Amen. Blameless and harmless children of God. But number two, we're also to be children of God without fault. Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. I guess that counts me out. Man, to keep track of my faults, I need a calculator. Amen. Day in, day out, I struggle with my faults. 
But what he's really talking about here is that our conduct should be demonstrated. That our conduct should be done by doing. We should prove that we're children of God. Demonstrating. Not just talking the game. Demonstrating that we're children of God. Demonstrating that we've been born of God. We need to demonstrate that we're living in such a way that no one can accuse us of not being His. Be blameless to yourself. Be harmless to others. And don't let anybody be able to accuse you of not belonging to Jesus. Not only does Paul talk about our mouth, and not only does Paul talk about our conduct, but Paul also talks about our mission. Did you hear that mission spelled out for us there in verse 15? He says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Man, that speaks to our mission. He tells these believers, hey guys, listen up. If you really want to live the truth, if you really want to live the truth, become stars. Not celebrities, but beacons. Beacons penetrating the darkness and leading people to the light, Jesus Christ. How often do we fail in doing that? Swift to point a finger, but we're not leading them to the light. Let us be blameless in that. You see, friend, it was Jesus that first used this picture about the light. He once said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. But interestingly enough, in another passage of Scripture, he told his disciples. He told his disciples, his followers. He told the believers, he said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that men see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the Friends, our mission is to reflect the light that's in us. To reflect the light to the whole world. Friends, and that includes people who are hostile toward you. That includes people who are hostile towards Christians. That includes people who are hostile towards Jesus Christ himself. We've got to place our hope in the truth. And we've got to get to heeding the truth ourselves. Finally today, we've got to hold fast to the truth. Verse 16, Paul instructs us to hold fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I may have not run in vain or labored in vain. Friend, no matter what, no matter what happens in this American landscape, 
No matter what happens in our society, no matter what happens in our culture, no matter what, hold fast to the word of life. And while you're doing that, don't be surprised about what you might see. Don't be surprised what you might face. Don't be surprised by what you might experience. For you see, Jesus as he was sending out his apostles into the world, as he was sending his followers out into a perverse and crooked generation, he told us that he's sending us out there too. The command hasn't changed. Friend, just listen to what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. He said this to the boys, amen? We're collectively the boys. We're his disciples. We're his followers. And he said, Behold, I send you. I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, as wise as be as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to their counsels. They will scourge you in their synagogues, you will be brought before the governors and the kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, listen here, Jesus. Don't worry about how or what you will speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. in the light and what you hear in the ear preach on the housetops and do not fear do not fear don't fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. 
no matter what, friend, hold fast to the word of life. Paul closes his thoughts in Philippians chapter 2 by encouraging us to hold fast, to hold tight, so that we can rejoice in the day of Christ. How long? How long am I supposed to hold fast, Lord? I'm getting tired. I'm getting persecuted here. How long am I supposed to hold on? Paul said, until he rejoices in the day of Christ. What does that mean? You keep holding fast until Jesus comes for you, amen? Until you go to him or he comes for you, one way or the other. It's the day when Jesus will come as a righteous judge. It's the day that those who proclaim and live out their faith in Christ will rejoice when he comes. It's the day when all those who have rebelled against God and his word will face the Lord in judgment. You see, what you need to remember is, is that God has highly exalted him. God has highly exalted him and given Jesus the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth. That every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. One of these days, amen, one of these days. I'm going to close this morning with a quote from a statement about Black Friday. The statement was made by Dr. Albert Moeller, who is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and here's what he said. He said, in one sense, everything has changed. And yet, nothing has changed. The cultural and legal landscape has changed, and we believe this is going to cause very real harm to our neighbors. But our Christian responsibility has not changed. We are charged to uphold marriage as the union of a man and a woman and to speak the truth in love. We are also commanded to uphold the truth about marriage in our own families, in our own marriages. We're charged, commanded to uphold the truth about marriage in our own lives and in our own churches. We are called to be People of the truth, even when the truth is not popular. We are called to be people of the truth, even when those in our culture deny the truth. Christians have found themselves in this place before, and they're going to find them in this place again. However, praise the Lord, God's truth has not changed. The Holy Scriptures have not changed. The gospel of Jesus Christ, guess what? Say it. The church's mission, guess what? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. 
which is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. That means that it's not too late for you to give your life to Christ. Tomorrow, Jesus may have come out.